And welcome, my friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson coming to you this morning from my basement out here in the Eastern Plains of Colorado. I'm a homeschool father of five, also a pastor of a church out here on the Eastern Plains of Colorado. And we like to come back to practical issues relating to family and marriage from time to time on the program, especially as we deal with crises. When we speak of marriage, there are certain things we can do to to damage the marriage and to negatively affect the relationship. And I call that the uh, chipping of the vase, taking the delicate vase of the marriage and just chipping it with a small metal object. And uh, we can chip the face of the vase uh, easily as as we interact in an unloving manner uh, with spouse. And uh, yet there's also a possibility of smashing the vase, taking the vase and and throwing it hard against a concrete surface, and the vase smashes into a thousand pieces. And that's what happens when the marriage comes apart by abandonment or adultery. And, and these sorts of crises are somewhat common, even amongst Christian marriages in this country. And that's why we want to take a look at the instance of crisis, what to do when the affair happens in a Christian marriage, or what's, what, what to do when, when a serious uh, problem, a serious crisis in that relationship ensues. And so today we have Michael Gimbola, who joins us on the Generations broadcast with a, a, an important book that he just released called After an Affair, Pursuing Restoration. Michael Gimbola is the director of the Blue Ridge Counseling Center, and uh, he's got some experience on this as he has personally watched the redemptive work of Jesus Christ working in the hearts and minds and lives of men and women he counsels. Now he joins me on the Generations Broadcast. Michael, it's good to have you with us today. Good to be with you. Thank you. Michael, what an important topic, but uh, I, I don't think that uh, you know m- many Christians consider this as a possibility in their marriage, uh, especially Christians and uh, Christian yeah. churches. They don't, they don't expect this kind of thing to happen, but uh, does this happen? Do, do Christians fall into this kind of sin, adulterous affairs. They do. Uh, it's, you know, believers who are church members, believers who are pastors, do fall into this. There was a survey some years ago that was done of pastors who'd fallen from ministry, and one of the common features in the fall, predating the fall, was that they would say, this, this would never happen to me. I would never do something like this. Yet you you've seen it. This this kind of thing does happen, and I suppose any denomination, mm-hmm. you know, some people might say, "Well, right. we, we attend a really good church, and it's unlikely that this kind of thing would happen to us." Right? People with great theology do all kinds of terrible sins. Yeah. <laughs> sadly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's obviously the difference between what we confess as our theology, our confessional theology, and then the functional theology, what we actually live out of. And the reality is, this, at times, those can be far apart. Where we'd sign off on a very good statement of faith, but the way we live. Um, doesn't live up to that statement. Hmm. Is it possible uh, that these marriages are reconcilable? I think that's one of the big questions. When a marriage hits crisis point, whether it be the abandonment of a spouse or uh, committing adultery, are these sorts of marriages redeemable? Have you seen them restored in the past? I have seen them restored. It's a a good question to say, are they our marriage is redeemable after affairs uh, because in a theoretical level, 
we believe in a God who, who does miracles. So, of course, the answer is yes, mm-hmm. that they are redeemable. Mm-hmm. The, the practical answer then it has to be a practical question. and needs an answer too, though. You know, is this particular marriage redeemable? And that's a much harder question because it requires the agreement of, of both the spouses that they want to, to, re, to see their marriage redeemed. Um, and you know, there are times when someone, someone has an affair and does not want to come back. And so you could have, you could have one of the spouses eager to see the family restored. Um, but, but they've, they've essentially not only been, been cheated on, but then they're then abandoned. And then on the opposite end, at times people feel seem seem very repentant and want to see things restored. And uh, the other spouse, you know, as you said, they, they feel that the vase has just been irreparably broken and don't don't want it. So it's you know the the most thoughtful pastor, the most the most convincing counselor may not be able to, you know, humanly speaking, salvage the marriage in those cases. So it's certainly certainly possible. I've often seen it. Um, there's even some data that says the, the majority of marriages do survive adultery, hmm. um, but it's it's not a guarantee, nor is it uh, nor is there a clear formula that the person who's seeking restoration uh, can take that will guarantee that their spouse will take them back. Uh, but my my goal is to in the, in the book really is to put people in the best place uh, to be spiritually restored first, and then if in God's mercy to have the marriage restored. I spoke to a, an experienced counselor a year or two ago about this question of when crisis happens, what is the probability of the restoration of the marriage? The man said, uh, on the part of of the uh, the perpetrator or the adulterer, uh, there needs to be significant humility and contrition, and at the same time, a special spiritual maturity on the part of the innocent party. So he says, you know, if you have that, if you got that humility and contrition on the one side and a spiritual maturity and, and certainly, you know, not somebody who's falling into the trap of victimhood on the other side, then you have a strong possibility of a restoration of the marriage. Is that what you've seen? I see the two struggles is a bit different. Um, you know, the, the struggle of the person seeking restoration and the, and the struggle of the person asking the question, do I, do I take my spouse back? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's such complex issues on both sides, but for, I really like what was said about the perpetrator because it's, there's, you know, no one has an affair uh, who, who doesn't fall into a strong measure of self, of self-oriented thinking mm-hmm. of, of kind of a, a self-centered mindset you you have to kind of put aside your concern for your family, put aside your the impact that this will have on your spouse in order to cross those lines. You have to be thinking first of yourself for quite some time. And so it's, I guess, a sobering for all of us, right, that any yeah. small selfishness mm-hmm. can become something much more grievous. Um, but but the opposite of that is, is, as you said, the humility and the contrition. Um, there's often, sadly, that self-centeredness doesn't go away, even when the initial statement of confession, or the, the coming clean happens. And sadly, a lot of times, uh, there's there's a lot of minimization and defensiveness. Mm. And, you know, I, I did this, but not this. You know, how you know, are you saying you've never sinned? You know, how come we aren't moving on from this? Why do you have to keep dwelling on this? There's, there's a lot of defensiveness that comes up in the person who's trying to be restored from an affair. And that mindset is just, it pushes their spouse farther and farther away. 
um, it's so threatening to, to make yourself vulnerable after a fall like this mm. um, and mm. to, to truly be humble, but it is so restoring and so Amen. healing. Amen. The book is After an Affair, Pursuing Restoration. The author, Michael Gambola, now on the Generations broadcast with me. Michael, let's talk about hope for just a moment. People can feel in situations like this that there's no way out. Uh, is, mm. is it harder to instill hope in the innocent party or the party sinned against uh, versus the person who has committed adultery, do you think? It's a good question. Um, it's a long road home mm. uh, from adultery. You know, yeah. when, you've, when you've strayed in that way, many people can, can take enough steps to say, I, yes, I'm, I was wrong, please forgive me. Uh, but then when they actually face the brokenness of trust, that they see in the other spouse, they, they see that they're, you know, they start to grapple with the impact, then it can get, those, those days can be very long. Mm. And so I would say it's, it is very hard to instill hope. On the other hand, it's, that person is also very vulnerable to, to a sense of um, maybe, an, maybe a naive optimism that, you know, we're going to make this, you know, let me, let me convince my spouse that we're, we're going to be okay. You know, I know I did this, I know I really hurt you, but, you know, and, so skipping really quickly past the other person's pain. And that's, that's also, um, you might say that they have the right, they, they have a lot of hope. This person have quite a bit of optimism, um, but they, they almost need to see the impact and slow down, mm-hmm. uh, slow down their eagerness mm-hmm. so that they can grapple with the other person's pain and actually become a person who bears the other bur- the other's burden in Galatians six, uh, in, in the, in the vein of Galatians six. Mm-hmm. See, now, the person sinned against, I would say that, you know, especially if this has been a pattern of sin in, in this pa- on the part of the offending spouse, then those can be really long and hopeless days as well. I, that's almost more challenging when you, yeah. for, you know, for example, when it's a pattern and when you're saying, I, I don't, I don't know that I can let this person back in and be hurt again. And it, that's where you'd say, okay, well, what is, how do we walk in a way that, that is consistent with the hope of the gospel and yet grappling with the realities that um, their spouse may not be safe yet uh, to, to trust. Mm-hmm. What is the first step in the reconciliation process? What does the sinning party do first? What's the very first thing you do in counseling? So the first thing I typically do is if, if there's not been an initial confession then that, that needs to happen. Yeah. And typically what I'll say is what else happened? Because I've largely found that the initial apology does not include the full story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's because of purposeful deception, but other times it's because, um, you know, th- there can be this, uh, there can be this sense that, well, I'm kind of protecting my spouse by, by avoiding saying what else happened. And I'm not talking about necessarily gory detail, but just that, there are significant components that are often left out. So often I've said, you know, if there's something else to say, it needs to be said now because it's going to be worse if it comes out later. And then your spouse is going to feel like the rug, the rug's been pulled out from under her if they do all this work to rebuild and then, oh, wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. Um, so fuller confession is the first step. The, the first major pr- part of the process is, is recognizing the impact of the affair on the offended spouse. Mm-hmm. And of course, the vertical as well. The the, the, yes. the the Psalm fifty-one against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil mm-hmm. in thy sight. That's uh, that sense of guilt before God mm-hmm. and that need for God's forgiveness. That's 
That's essential. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about how people right. hesitate sometimes to confess to God. They might feel they're too mm-hmm. unworthy, or some might actually feel too proud. So it may be mm-hmm. either, either way. What's wrong with either mm-hmm. one of those perspectives, Michael, that, that hesitation to confess because you, you just feel too unworthy to confess before right. God, or on the other side, just a little too much mm-hmm. pride still uh, to, to yeah. make this confession to God? And then that is how I structure the beginning of the book, is um, learning to confess first to God, mm-hmm. and so that then you can confess to your wife. Again, I'm mostly working with men in this situation, not exclusively. There are different ways that we struggle to come home if we're either the prodigal uh, son or the elder brother. Hmm. You know, there's There are different ways that you can be di- distant from God. And certainly one is just feeling overwhelmed with shame. And in a sense, that's the, in some ways, that's the easier one because that's what we're, maybe that's what so many of our testimonies capture, you know, that I once was lost, um, now I'm found, I was blind, but now I see. We emphasize the, the wretchedness of, of sin, and we come, come to hate it, and we feel so ashamed, and we want to come clean, and we want to be cleansed by Christ, and to to know the hope of the gospel. And there, there's a way in which the the person who knows, and if I if I know I'm a sinner, there, there's a way the gospel speaks so profoundly. Uh, but it, it's in some ways it's almost a more jarring and difficult. Um, path when when there's pride you know you, you think of the, the two people praying at the temple the one uh, who who cannot come close to the temple and he's beating his chest and saying lord i you know, i'm not even worthy to come up and pray you know, to come to come to you i know i'm a sinner and then the other praying very proudly who you know, which one left justified right yeah. there, there's there's a posture I'm not saying shame is easier here to overcome necessarily but um you have to know that you have to know that you're far from God. You have to know that you've done damage in your relationship with God and with your spouse. Uh, and I, I find that that's, that's, it may not be the tougher nut to crack, but it's, it's, um, it's the one I'm, I'm a bit more sobered by because it, hmm. it's just very difficult to work with. Thankfully, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from our pride and hypocrisy as well as yep. our adultery. So, you know, praise the Lord right. that, shame. that he, then, he's yeah. good for that, you know. Um, but let's talk about repentance for just a moment. Repentance being that mm-hmm. change of mind, that basic change of mind about certain things. Um, mm-hmm. That is uh, just just that paradigm shift that's got to happen on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. And we, we find this you know, throughout our Christian life. We're like, we, we see things differently today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jesus mm-hmm. has enabled us by his Holy Spirit to, to see things completely differently and we we mm-hmm. have these paradigm shifts now. When it comes to this sexual sin, what mm-hmm. what 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 um, what worldly ideas have been inculcated by the adulterer or the sex addict that needs to be shifted around in our minds? What basic change of mind needs to happen with the adulterer? What you're describing forms a big part of what what counseling does is drawing out uh, what are some of the messages that have been received and have been encouraged and. And and how is how has this person not just been a recipient of those messages, but then over time become a believer in them, mm. and then sometimes an advocate yeah. of those messages. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's really important work. Um, some of the key one, I think some of the key ones are. I mean, this is this is a pretty easy one to identify in society. It's um, for men. It's 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 the lie that women exist for your pleasure. You know, mm-hmm. that, um, 
I mean, there's the more, perhaps the more core one, which is, um, you know, that that I I deserve better. I deserve to be happy. Um, You know, if if my, if I'm angry and bitter with my spouse, and you know, I I deserve companionship, and I deserve it on my timetable. There's there's a sense of entitlement that can come in. Yeah, that's often recognized in affair affair literature. And and really you have to you have to get to a place of entitlement before you're willing to cross those lines, and so you, it's it's hard, you won't you really won't cross the line unless you've kind of made that mental shift. Um, hmm. So it's a self-centered mm-hmm. approach to life, isn't it? Right, and that's where it should be. Like I said, that's where it should be sobering to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that these small ways that you live oriented to yourself. Um, maybe today they don't embarrass you by what they lead to, but it really. It's the same. I mean, it's it's the same route that that will, given the right circumstances, open the door to to much more profoundly damaging and destructive sins. Mm. The small ones are things we have to take seriously in our lives. One of the more important uh, things you mentioned in the book was this: that sexual sin has a way of numbing us from reality. Mm. And wow, that's mm. that's a powerful concept that sin keeps us walking in darkness there's this deception that uh, the the sexual sinner is not aware of his burden he's not aware right. of his darkness until he walks right. in the light he's not aware of his bondage mm-hmm. until he's been set free right and so you mm-hmm. know somehow he's got to get out of the darkness into the light mm-hmm. somehow he's he's got to shake off his chains mm-hmm. and rise up mm-hmm. and follow Jesus how does this happen mm-hmm. how does that shift happen in the counseling room. Mm-hmm. I think as a, as a believer, we do counseling different is that you, you love to have the participation of, of the church. And, you know, in situations like this, a lot of times it ends up being really public and there are other people, other people know about it. And so, you know, you've gone to your pastor, you're going to a counselor that you have this, this team in, at play. And so both inside and outside the counseling room, you're having uh, support and encouragement, mentoring, and um, so there's, to some degree, um, what happens in counseling rooms is a small part of the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what I actually seek to do there to help make the shift happen, often, I mean, there, there are kind of two, two, different, two different things I'm thinking of. One is, one is the individual work, which I'm just meeting with the person individually for a bit and Kind of helping helping them understand. Okay, how did you get from you know, point A to point B? How did you how did this happen? Um, so I often will draw out a bridge and say, okay, well, what it likely started with some sense of dissatisfaction with your life, some sense of pain, uh, something that was hard. Um, it's it's the rare person who requires no displeasure or no dissatisfaction in life to to do something like this. It's it, it's typically um, Typically, things are hard. Something is something's very um, very troubling, whether it's in the marriage or outside the marriage. Um, and often, that that sense of pain leads to uh, fears. Is this always going to be this way? A sense of uh, disappointment. Why why has God allowed my life to turn out this way? You know, and come to think of it, I've I've tried to live as a Christian. I've tried to do right, and that so that again that sense of the suffering can build toward a bit of resentment, you know, um, really almost, almost like with Psalm 73, you see the struggle there of, 
you know, I almost slipped. I almost lost my footing. I saw the wicked prospering. You know, what what good does it make? Differences? What difference does it make that I follow follow the Lord? And so that there's there can be this this sense of um, a sense of resentment that builds toward toward God, and it can happen in the marriage too when you feel like things have been disappointing there. I think that sense of resentment, it's a very short step from resentment to a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a sense of kind of recasting yourself as, as kind of the, the good person, the savior, the, you know, I'm, I'm helping another person. I'm giving another person a shoulder to cry on. Um, you know, there, there's, it's a complex path, but I help the person individually see how they strayed mm-hmm. and how they were able to still see themselves as a good person. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, and to some degree, this is, they, they made it okay. They made, they gave themselves permission at some point yeah. to cross those lines. So help them understand that process. That's a key part. Because um, a lot of times the, the person's, if they're a believer, it's not that, they, they, it's not that hard for them to hear them say, I know what I did wrong. I strayed from God. I know I, I know I'm, I know I messed everything up. I know I need to repent, but they don't, they don't know how to make that happen. So they kind of need to see where did they stray to that helps you understand where to come back from. That's kind of the individual work. The couple work often, as I said, is, is focused on the impact. Help, help this person who's, who's committed, a, who's had an affair, help them sit with the impact of the action on the other person and move from the person who is the source of harm to then a person who in a relational way can be a source of healing and comfort. Is there a point at which they realize their sin, the lights turn on, and mm-hmm. they they realize the the redemptive influence mm-hmm. and power of the blood of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. in their life? Have you seen that light turn on? It's it's a difficult work because it's um, you know there are certain there are certain things that when you when the light when the lights come on certain things just immediately change. And, and a lot of people experience this in their conversion. You know, they, they come to Christ and all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they don't go to certain places anymore. They don't spend time with certain people anymore. They, they don't do certain practices anymore. And then, and there's just this profound shift. Uh, often that profound shift happens before someone comes into counseling. But then what I, what I end up dealing with is the second kind of the second round. So to, so again, to reference conversion, it's when a lot of times when a, a new believer comes to Christ and they see all these profound changes, there's, there's this one or two, there are these one or two lingering struggles in their lives that are just so profoundly humbling and frustrating. And then that becomes the first agenda on discipleship is, okay, mm-hmm. you know, you still drink too much. How can we, how can we work on this together? Mm-hmm. Right. And so analogously, a lot of times when, when someone's in counseling with me, they've already kind of come to, they've already been on their knees before the Lord. They've already been on their knees, you know, in, in kind of in their hearts. And the lights have come on in an initial way. They, they don't yet see the kind of the more profound uh, self-orientation that led them there. And they don't see the pain of the other person yet, largely. That, that's, it's very common that um, they know they sinned and they, they feel bad about it. They, they have a very initial, very rudimentary understanding of the pain, of, of the damage that's been done and what needs to be done to restore it. They need to have a sense for their new life in Christ. Uh, you yes. also mentioned off-air, and I wanted to bring this out, that uh, when, when an affair happens, it's almost like the house burned down, and there is a point at mm-hmm. which 
they realize they're just going to have to rebuild the house from the foundation mm-hmm. upwards. Right. Right. Is this like getting right. saved all over again? Is 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 this sure. realizing the 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 walking in newness of life, the getting up, getting mm-hmm. off the getting out of the coffin, you know, crawling out of the coffin, mm-hmm. shaking the dirt mm-hmm. off your hands after the resurrection mm-hmm. and just starting mm-hmm. this walk in newness of life. Yeah, I like these analogies because they're I mean they're full of hope, right? There's there's yeah. a sense of vent of a turning event turning point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is that you, know, you, you picture you picture the construct a new construction uh, you know, of a church or of a civic building, you know, they're cutting the ribbon and they're taking pictures and they're breaking ground. And there's this excitement of, no, we're going to do this. We're, we, you know, we can make this work. And I've seen those moments a, a fair amount. Um, I think that what, what's, what's difficult to see, you know, you, from, from a certain angle as a believer, you love to see those turning point moments and you just, you love, you love to hear the testimony of, you know, and and at this point I realized such and such, and it made all the difference. Um, But the, the nature of, of counseling work is often this kind of slow grind and the nature of rebuilding a marriage is often the slow grind. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not so much the ribbon cutting and the breaking ground. It's, you know, the standing up there in, in the, you know, in the scaffolding, uh, you know, nail, you know, nailing the joists together and yeah. sweating and, and, uh, and taking a lunch break and feeling like nothing's getting done. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, there's so, it's, it's such a long process. Yeah. Um, you know, even, even when, even when the spouses are both on the same page about wanting to rebuild. Mm-hmm. But they've got to do it day by day in belief right. that God is with mm-hmm. them. And this is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, our risen savior. Right. Mm-hmm. Amen. Michael, mm-hmm. take a moment yeah. and talk about the book, After an Affair, Pursuing Restoration. It's a devotional book, isn't it? So my, my vision for this book was in view of a certain, you know, a certain situation, uh, a common situation of, of uh, primarily the men I've worked with uh, who, who do need to make the mental shifts we were talking about, um, who, um, who know that they want to restore things in the relationship with God, and they're hopeful. They want to restore the relationship with their spouse. Um, and there, there is that sense of what, what do we do first? What do we do next? You know, I know that, okay, I haven't picked up my Bible in forever. Um, so I've, I've been doing that. You know, I'm listening to sermons on my way into work. I'm meeting with my pastor too for discipleship. Um, but, and then there's kind of this sense of what do I even, where do I even start with my marriage? And, and uh, I wanted to have where it started was I wanted to have a kind of a workbook where, where some of those initial insights, some of those changes of, of mindset could happen mm-hmm. and it could be something interactive. It could have kind of um, work that could be done in between sessions. And um, so it started as, as a workbook I never intended to publish. So I was just going to give it to people uh, who, who I was counseling. Not that there was interest from, um, I met someone who is interested in, in seeing it in print. And so we, we moved forward with it, but it's, you know, the goal is to get, to get at the, uh, the, the core change of, okay, how do I, how do I come back and reenter my relationship with the Lord and how to, how do I make the necessary shifts in my mindset and my behavior that make me a, a welcoming person, make me the, that make me the kind of a person who myself would want to come back to. 
Mm-hmm. You know, not that I not not that they feel obligated to come back, mm-hmm. um, or that they're coming back based on some technicality of well, you know, it's um, you know, I I really should for the kids, you know, and I I have to do, you know, it's it's such a blessing when the person is profoundly changing mm-hmm. and and uh, living a new life, mm-hmm. and such that the spouse actually actually wants to see something beautiful in the marriage and wants it back. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those are situations, you know, when you, when you can pitch that, it's, I mean, who, who wouldn't want that? Right. It's, Amen. Yes. Of course I would want my wife to want to be with me. You know, well, I want it to be a, a burden. Yeah. The most beautiful story in the world is a reconciliation with God and reconciliation mm-hmm. with one another. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing more beautiful yeah. in this world than reconciliation. Um, the, the restoration of relationship, whether mm-hmm. it be our marriages or our relationship with God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it comes by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our peace and our reconciler. So we're so thankful. Mm-hmm. We're so thankful for the work that he does and the work that we see. We witness ourselves in our own lives and the lives of others. The book is After an Affair, Pursuing Restoration uh, by Michael Gambola, who's been our guest on this edition of the Generations Broadcast, friends. The book is produced by P&R Publishing, available anywhere online, so check it out online, After an Affair, Pursuing Restoration by Michael Gimbola. Michael, thank you for joining us on Generations. This has been good. Thank you. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.